I'm glad he's here today. <laughs> Amen. I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50 is where we're going to go for our time together in the Word. <clears throat> As you're turning to Genesis chapter 50, let me ask you a question. What do you do when your relationship with someone you love, or at least you used to love, what do you do when that's damaged? What do you do when it's broken? Severed, maybe. You know, life happens, doesn't it? And people say things and do things that hurt. And you, you, you've probably heard this before, but they say, hurt people what? <laughs> hurt people hurt people, right? They just go on to hurt. What do we do when someone we love, we've invested in them, and yet the relationship is damaged, is fractured? I've seen children, once they become adults, completely sever their ties with their parents. I was in a home throughout my teen years on a very regular basis, and it was a home that was filled with love. And this particular family had two children, and the girl, they had a girl and a boy, the girl, when she became adult age, she just decided one day, I don't want to have anything to do with you ever again. And she cut the ties to her parents because she was too prideful to ever let herself think that there could be any, any he healing or mending. She, she dug in and to this day, years and years and years later, there's still absolutely no relationship with her parents. She's had children since then. Of course, there's no relationship with the grandchildren to their grandparents because of a relationship that was damaged and not healed, and the damage caused fracture, complete breakdown of the relationship. I've seen sibling against sibling. I've even seen it in my own family, some of my cousins. I know we're live streaming. I'm going to say what I'm going to say today. Hey, cuz. Let me interject this before I finish this thought. This live streaming, Pastor Nate Hooper, is so powerful. One of our missionaries came to me just a couple of weeks ago. His wife was diagnosed with cancer, and so she went through some of the treatment, which breaks down all of your immune system, and so she could not leave the house. And guess where she was fed? She was fed through La Palma Christian Center and our live streaming. They, they viewed our service on a weekly basis. One of our missionaries. It was awesome. Some of my own cousins um, had a falling out. Guess what it was over? What's it always over? What's it mostly always over? It was over money. Money, by the way, is the number one destroyer of marriages. Not infidelity, although that's a close second. Money! 
and just fall out and not speak, not have any relationship. Wedding vows are spoken and commitment is made at an altar. And I tell anybody who asks me to marry them, I want you to understand you're asking me to pronounce holy matrimony. I still believe matrimony should be holy. Vows are spoken, but unfortunately, sometimes vows are broken. Or at least that marriage relationship, boy, it can really be strained, can it? It can really have the pressure put on it. And maybe, maybe it's not fully fractured. Sometimes it can really be bruised. These are warning signs that if we don't do something, a relationship is in jeopardy of breakdown. But thankfully, there is hope. And God just needs a little bit of it. And God will breathe on hope, and hope will grow, and healing comes. We have a family that has been part of our school for some time now. And just over this last year, they felt God moving them to join our church and become part of the La Palma Christian Center family. And Steve and Alex Jenkins are here, and I've asked them to come today. And they have a great testimony of God healing their relationship. If you don't know Steve and Alex, you must introduce yourself to them and get to know them. They're just precious, precious people. Would you come and just share briefly what God has been doing in your relationship and your family? Good morning, church. I'm like the preschoolers up here. I can't stop looking. looking yeah, back. you're half right. <laughs> well, good morning. I'm, I'm Steve and this is Alex. And we've been married. We're going on 12 years this May 31st for 16 years total. Um, but it's been tough. That seven-year itch that everyone speaks of, it, it lasted for about 10 years for us. <laughs> starting at year five till about, what, six, seven weeks ago, yeah. possibly. Um, of course, we've, we've tried counseling many times, from way back all the way up, maybe three or four times. Literally had one marriage counselor tell us, don't come back. Wow. She didn't want our money. She said, we keep going over the same things. You guys are not improving, not learning. Don't come back. So it's been difficult. Three kids, a dog, life. And it got very, very difficult this past year. Um, our son's illness, it was diabetic, um, but just the strain of life, it took its toll on our marriage. We were at each other's throats constantly. Um, we couldn't get it together. We finally, we had to move. Um, we've been in our new place for three weeks now. And it got to the point where I said, I'm done. This is our opportunity. You go your way, I go my way. We will co-parent together, wow. and that's it. Uh, at that point, she called Miss Blank. <laughs> I didn't know she called. She said, we're going to meet with someone. I said, well, here we go again. It's not going to work. Whatever. I'll go. I'll listen. But I'm leaving. Um, after that first meeting, things all changed. I mean, counseling, of course. It's counseling in church, counseling out church. But the thing that's different is God is in the middle now. And we didn't have that. I grew up wow. in a church. Of course, I prayed. I would ask my mom. My mom would say, let God handle it. 
Okay, I am. I would pray for it, but then I would turn around and try to do everything myself. I want it my way. I want it this way. I'm right. She's wrong. Wow. I'm not going to apologize, you know, but that first meeting, everything changed. My pride was pushed back. Mm. I humbled myself. I wouldn't apologize. I See one of my students over there. Cal, I don't want to put you on blast, but Cal, that's one of the ones I love. Nice. Um, I go to school and I love on the kids. I'm always smiling, but I would go home and not do that at home, and especially with my wife. And now I realize that it it was me. You know, I would say that she was this, she was that. <laughs> She's arguing this, that, and the other. But now I see that I wasn't fulfilling my role. The marriage counseling and the seminars that we've had. Yeah, yeah. I understand now that I was giving up my role. And because of that, things weren't right. And because of that, I was going to walk out. And I am so glad that she made the phone call. I am so glad that Pastor Steve made it known. <laughs> Make sure God is first. Yeah. It doesn't matter, and it works. I was going to leave six weeks ago. Today, I'm here. We're still here. We're going to make it work. Yep. We're, we're far from at the end. We'll never be at the end, so we're going to keep on going through this. But now we have a foundation. Now we know God first, and everything will fall into place. So he is faithful, and he will take care of us. speak last service um because i tend to get emotional and i'm kind of ugly when i cry so bear with me <laughs> um but for me um he doesn't even know this what made me make the call because i was done too i wanted out i didn't want to be married anymore but a young lady at my school i work at a high school came up to me and she looked at my mouse pad and she took it in my family and she said oh miss alice you have like the perfect family wow and i thought to myself wow she doesn't know and um, for those of you that don't know me, uh, in 1997, I was told I could never have kids again. Um, I do have an older son that Stephen has adopted, and his father was murdered when he was two. So all these things came back to me, and I'm like, but wait, I have to give him a child. And you know what? God healed my womb, and that day when I came home, I remember him saying to me clearly, I didn't heal your womb for you guys to co-parent separately. And that spoke volumes to me, and and I made that call, and I'm so glad I did. And um, I mean, it's it's a job, but I'm willing to stick through it, and and I'm glad he is. <laughs> so, um, but thank you, and we love you guys, and we feel so supported here, and I'm so glad we were able to choose to come here because it's close. Yeah, love you. And they moved in the middle of all this. I mean, did you catch that? If anything's going to really put the strain on a, uh, on a marriage, on a relationship, that could do it. And I mean, Karen and I were like, boy, we better get the Jenkins in here pretty quick and see how they're doing. You know, get the, get the finger on the pulse and see if we need to put a tourniquet on. And they come in and they said, you know what? God is faithful and God has been with us and we're okay. And I'm so proud of, of, of both of you. And I'm excited to see what God does through you individually and through this marriage, through your family. Great things are ahead for you folks. And I love you. Thank you for allowing me to be your pastor. Amen.
What a great testimony of God healing. But see, Jesus is our healer. He heals our physical body. Somebody say amen. He heals our emotional scars. Somebody say thank God. But he also heals our relationships that are broken, that are, that are damaged, that are severed. He heals the fractured relationships. Let me talk to you today for a few minutes about Jesus being our relational healer. Relational healing coming through Christ. Genesis 50 is a great example of this. It's the life of Joseph. Genesis 50, verse 15, we'll start there. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, Jacob, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us now and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph and said, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept as they spoke to him. His, bro his brothers also came and fell down before him and they said, behold, we are your servants but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Somebody say hallelujah. You meant evil against me, Joseph told his brothers, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for your powerful presence here today. We have already sensed you. We've already received from you. Now, God, I pray that you would speak deep into our hearts and into our situations. Help us today, God, as we look to you, the God that heals. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love a story with a happy ending. How about you? And I've just cut to the chase today. I've gone to the end of the book, so to speak. I've already read to you the end result. I've given you the happy ending. Joseph's life and his testimony proves that God performs relational healing. The life of Joseph has a happy ending. But in order to fully appreciate the happy ending, we've got to go back to the maybe not so happy beginning, beginning certainly the unhappy middle part, to get to this triumphant testimony in Genesis chapter 50. We go back to the beginning and we see a relationship that was fractured. The relationship between Joseph and his brothers, blood brothers, they should be full of love. They should fight to the, the nth degree in order to protect their brother. I've got three sisters. They all live in Indiana. 
But I'm just telling you, it wouldn't take me long to get my bus ticket, my plane ticket, my train ticket, or just to jump into my Xterra and get to them if I had to, because they're my sister. And I would do anything that I possibly could to fight for them and to protect them. Genesis 37, I want you to open your Bible today and just walk with me through the last few chapters of Genesis. I want you to see this for yourself. There'll be a lot of reading the Bible. Can you all handle some reading the Bible today? (laughs) I hope so, because we're going to get it. We're going to really dive into the Word today. I want you to see this and let the Holy Spirit really bring things to your attention. Genesis 37. Verse number one, Jacob, this is Joseph's father. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings. In other words, he lived in the land of Canaan. What's the land of Canaan, by the way? It's the promised land, right? That's what God promised. This is the promised land. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old. He was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their fathers. A little tattletale right here. Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Note that because Joseph was his, the son of his old age. And Jacob made Joseph a robe of many colors. How many remember this from Sunday school? Oh, yeah. Joseph and the robe of many colors. This is where it's, this is where it's found in Scripture. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they, they hated Joseph, and they could not speak peacefully to him. I, I want to talk to you today about a relationship that was fractured. Joseph was only 17 years old. Do we have anybody that's 17 in the room? Frankie was here. Who's 17? Are you 17? You'll be 17 on Friday. Who's 17? Jahomi, are you 17? You're not 17. Don't raise your hand. You're tall enough to be 17. Anybody 17? (laughs) Sue? KK, stand up. This is about the age right here. Now imagine if KK was a boy working out in the pasture, but it's just, just a teen, just a child, really, just barely starting life. You're going to be 17 on Friday? You'd think that things wouldn't go wrong so quickly, but the relationships, the relationship started to break down early on, didn't it? I see some reasons, actually. Why did this relationship fracture? Fractured because of favoritism, for one thing. Dad clearly favored Joseph over his other brothers. The scripture even tells us that much. Jacob loved Joseph more than the others. 37.3, look at it for yourself. Jacob loved It says Israel, but that's the same name. Jacob had a name change. Jacob and Israel are the same person. Israel loved Joseph more than all of his other children. 
And the other children knew about it, by the way, which they always do. You know that, right? You think you're pulling one off on, on the other, uh, your other children, and you're not pulling anything off. I'm telling you right now, they know. They realize, they recognize, maybe not by your words, although his words clearly said it, but his actions spoke. He had a coat, a robe, specially made for his favorite son. It's the robe of many colors. Parents fight the urge to favor one child over another. I have three amazing children. Each has their own strengths. Each has their own weaknesses. I try to help them in the area of weakness and celebrate their areas of strength. But it's a challenge for Karen and I, I'll be honest with you. It's a challenge for us to try to keep it all in balance. Fight the urge to show favoritism, parents, because favoritism plants seeds of destruction. Favoritism plants seeds of resentment. And who knows, once they are old enough to be out of the house, what that will produce and how that will come back to you. Favoritism clearly was part of the breakdown of the relationship. How about this? Jealousy. Verse number 11 of chapter 37, it tells us the brothers envied Joseph. They envied how dad doted over their youngest son. They were jealous of the attention that Joseph was receiving, both the words he was receiving and the actions that he was receiving. They didn't get a coat of many colors. And Joseph was the baby. What about the oldest? The oldest is supposed to be the one who inherits everything. He's supposed to be the, the go-to guy, right? What about the oldest? What about the strongest? We don't really know who that is necessarily, but you can just see different things, different aspects of the brothers. What about the hunters? What about the musician? What about, what about me? And just because he's the baby, he's favored? Jealousy, which turned to envy. Another reason, I believe, for the breakdown, it's not just all on dad. It's not just all on the brothers. I believe Joseph has a big responsibility here and a part to play in the breakdown. I believe pride comes in. Joseph knew he was the favorite. Dad gave me the robe. So he puts on the robe and he just, every time he wears the robe, he's basically thumbing his nose at him. Dad likes me better than you. I got the coat. I got the robe. And just his very presence wearing that robe fuels the fire of envy and jealousy. Joseph also had an ability that not everybody had. His brothers didn't have it. It was a God-given ability. Joseph had dreams that were spiritual. Not Now, listen, let me interject this right here. Not every dream that you dream has a spiritual meaning. I'll even say this, I believe the majority of the dreams you dream are insignificant spiritually. 
Having said that, I will also say God will speak through dreams. But not every dream you dream is a message from God, okay? And it might just be that God will speak this particular way today through certain individuals. And not everybody will have a dream from the Lord. Joseph had dreams that were from God. They were a godly ability. Not only would he have dreams, he also had the ability to interpret other people's dreams. And so he's got this gift. Listen, if you can sing, you should never let it be about you singing. God gifts us so he can receive glory. Did you know that? God gifts us so that others will know Christ, will, will know God. It's never supposed to be about me. It's never supposed to be about you. Don't let pride come in because God used you in some small way to build his kingdom. If there's any praise, if there's any honor, if there's any glory, let it all go to Christ. Amen. So Joseph is sharing these dreams. I had another dream last night I'm going to tell you all about. His brothers are sick to death of hearing about his dreams. I don't want to hear your dreams anymore. His dad even tells him, you need to, you need to back off. You see, even though it was, it was the right dream, it was a God-given dream, even right words need to be spoken at the right time. Even right words need to be spoken in the right way. And I believe that pride was part of the reason for the fracture of the relationship. Here's another reason. Hatred. See, this morphed right here. The jealousy and envy, it turned into something. It evolved into something. They hated their brother. We see this in 37.4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. It's reiterated in verse number 8 of the same chapter. His brother said to him, are you indeed going to reign over us? Let me stop right here. He's telling his brothers, I had a dream and all of the wheat stocks are bowing to the one in the middle. And guess what? I'm the one in the middle and you're the ones on the outside. And they just had a gut full of it. They had, to, they had all they could take and they said, are you indeed going to reign over us? Are you indeed going to rule over us? And they hated him, the Bible says, all the more for his dreams and for his words. Sometimes you just need to keep what God's saying in your heart until the right time. Hatred. It brewed and boiled and grew and morphed and consumed these boys. It was all consuming the hatred that they had for their brother. If hatred is allowed to remain, it will take root and it will consume you. It will be all you think about. You see, this hatred also evolved to more than, than just hatred. The jealousy turned to envy, the envy, resentment. It, it turned to hatred. The, the hatred turned to a plot of murder. We see this in verse 18 of chapter 37. Joseph is coming to his brothers out in the field. 
They see him from afar, the scripture tells us. And as he came near to them, they conspired against him, plotting to kill him. That's some breakdown of relations. He's just 17 years old, a little full of himself, sure. Walking around a little bit arrogant, okay, he's annoying. But really, you're just going to let it go so far? But let me just tell you something about any relationship that might be fractured in your life. God is still God. And God is faithful. We see the faithful hand of God in Joseph's life. God remained faithful. The Bible tells us that God was with Joseph. And he actually had a plan for Joseph's life. Joseph goes out to meet his brothers. And they decide... Here's our opportunity to show him who's really boss and to give him what for. He's got his robe on, of course, so, you know, they just couldn't, they couldn't take it anymore, John. I've had all that robe I can take. I don't want to see it again. So let's do something about it right now. And as they see him walking, they start plotting. Let's kill him. So he gets there, and they take his robe off, and what do they do? The Bible tells us they threw him in a pit. But God was faithful in the pit. I want to talk to you just a few minutes about the faithful hand of God and the providence of God. No matter what season of life we find ourselves in, God is still God. And God is faithful through every season, isn't he, Yolanda? Always faithful. We see the faithful hand of God in the life of Joseph. He was faithful in the pit. The brothers wanted to kill Joseph. They're plotting to, to kill Joseph. And then they were going to tell Dad, they were going to tell Jacob, well, a wild beast devoured him. Here's the proof. They kept the robe, and they were going to kill a, a, an animal, goat, and put the blood on the, on the robe, and then take the bloody robe back to dad and say, this is Joseph's blood, and this is all that's left. I mean, they just devoured him. They ate everything. There's nothing left. All is, that's left is his robe. So Reuben pipes up, and he says, now wait a minute. Instead of killing him, why don't we just throw him into the pit? Throw him into a pit. Now, when they, they speak of a pit here, they're talking about a well. Let's, let's throw him into the well. So that's exactly what they did. They listen to Reuben, and they find a pit, they find a well, and they throw him down into the pit. And then they say, oh, it's lunchtime. Look at, look at this, verse number 37, or chapter 37, verse number 25. They threw him into the pit, verse 24. And then 25, then they sat down to eat a meal. Just so casual. Didn't even care. I mean, hatred just clouded their, their whole ability to even reason. No compassion for their little 17-year-old brother. 
so overrun by bitterness and resentment, envy, jealousy, hatred. Let's just go eat a sandwich after this. And that's exactly what they're doing. And as they're eating their lunch, Judah, another of the brothers, he pipes up and he says, Hey, why don't we actually make some money off of this supper? He saw a band of Ishmaelites, Midianite traders, from afar coming their way. He, he just started thinking, we could actually make a little bit of money out of this deal. Why don't we sell him? We'll still tell Dad that he died and that animals ate him, but we'll have a little bit of money just split between us. Verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come on, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let us let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Do you feel the compassion just flowing out of those few words right there? Oh, that was so nice of Judah. And his brothers listened, and he reasoned with his brothers. So, verse 28, the Midianite traders were coming. They passed by, and as they drew, and so they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And the Ishmaelites took Joseph to Egypt. They threw Joseph into a pit. And I want you to know how faithful God was in the pit. The pit was meant to kill him. That was the original plan. You know, if, if, the, if the well had water in it, what would have happened? Well, he probably would have drowned. But the well was dry. See, when it's bad, and when it hurts, and when it seems dark, know that God is still faithful. And it could be that God has caused your situation, as bleak as it is, to be better than it could have been. Because you didn't die. It didn't take you out. He didn't die in the pit. He could have drowned if there was water in the well. If they had just finished their lunch and then went home and left him in the well... He would have died possibly from dehydration, starvation. Animals could have come. He could have literally been devoured by animals. We, but God was faithful in the pit, and God didn't allow him to be in the pit very long. And in an instant, God raised Joseph, caused Joseph to rise from the pit and moved him to a palace. Can I tell you this? The God that was faithful to Joseph in the pit was also faithful to Joseph in the palace. Chapter 39 now is where we're going. Verse number 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Hallelujah. Not only did God raise Joseph from the pit, he positioned him in the palace. And God caused Joseph to succeed because God was faithful to Joseph. Look at verse number 2. It says that the Lord was with Joseph. Right there in the pit, 
and also in the palace. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Verse number 3 goes on to tell us, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Let me tell you something. People notice what's going on in your life. People notice if the Lord is with you or if you're struggling on your own. Hallelujah. Keep in mind that no matter what season of life you're in, people are watching how you react. People are watching how you respond. And not only are people watching and people noticing, people are being affected by God in you and the favor of God in you and the faithfulness of God in you. Potiphar's house was blessed because God was faithful to Joseph. We see this in verse number 5 of chapter 39. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian. The Lord blessed Potiphar and his house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house or in his field. Hallelujah. I believe that as spirit-filled believers, we can come into our workplace and the whole work environment begins to go up. They may not understand why. They may not know why the profits went up over the whole year, but it could just be because of the favor and the blessing and the faithfulness of God in your life. Hallelujah. I believe an entire neighborhood could get favor in the zoning department just because of you living on the block. Hallelujah. The Bible says that God was faithful unto Joseph in the palace and he caused him to rise to a place of prestige and position. And everything that Joseph did was blessed. And as a result, the domino effect of that was Potiphar was blessed and his entire house was blessed. His garden was blessed, hallelujah. His flocks were blessed. His fields were blessed. His herds were blessed. Everything, the Bible says, in his house and in his field was blessed because of the faithfulness of God on Joseph's life. But all that glitters isn't necessarily gold. What am I saying? Beware of Potiphar's wife is what I'm saying. Mm -mm. I mean, I think Joseph could have just lived out the, the rest of his life. That's not a bad gig. That's not a bad, that's not a bad uh, result. Living a good life in Potiphar's house. But there is the matter of Potiphar's wife. And there's every situation, there is, a, there is a Potiphar's wife scenario. There's an enemy waiting, waiting for the right opportunity. You know, the Bible says the enemy, is, he, he likens him to a lion, just waiting who he may not devour. The lion just sits and waits. They wait for the right time to pounce. Then they go for the, the weakness, right, the weak the weak one of the herd, of the flock, right? The enemy waits for a weak moment when you're vulnerable. Potiphar's wife, she had the hots for Joseph. I, I think that's the message version. I'm not sure. 
The Bible says that she had longing eyes for Joseph. She wanted Joseph. I'm talking about she wanted she wanted Joseph. Do I have to make it any plainer than that? Are you all with me? She had a husband. There's another sermon there. I'll have to let you preach that in your own mind. But she had a husband. But she wanted something that she couldn't have. She wanted something she's not even supposed to want. There's another sermon right there that you maybe can preach to yourself. She kept telling him, come on, Joseph, look at this. She pulled down her sleeve. and I don't know what she did, but we know how women are, don't we now? And we know how men are too. I'm just telling you the truth. It's human nature. There's a, little, there's a good bit of just human nature right here that we need to learn from. She was seducing him, and he was trying his hardest. i got to give the boy some props right here. He's like, no, 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 no. He just kept saying no. He's like, your husband has given me so much. I just couldn't do that. I won't do that. So one day, there was nobody else around. She's looking around. She's thinking, this is the moment. So she's, she's trying again. He says no. And he's like, I'm out of here. He realized there's nobody, nobody here. She grabs hold of his coat, his garment, whatever it might have been. She got a hold of something. But he's just saying, you can have that. I mean, he just slipped right out of it. Because it says she took hold of his garment. He left, and she still had a piece of his clothing. And so she goes to her husband, and she says, your boy that you love so much and you think he's all that, he's tried to rape me today, just so you know. And I've got the proof right here. Well, of course, he's going to believe his wife. He believed his wife. Let me get to this. Verse number 20, Joseph's master took him, Potiphar, he took Joseph and he put him in prison. It was the king's prison. It was the place where the king's prisoners were confined. There he was in prison. In just another instant, Joseph went from the pit to the palace. Now he's in prison. But God was faithful in prison. Come on, somebody. We're talking about a faithful God today. Verse number, 20, verse number 21 of chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Of all the people that Joseph would want to have favor with and need favor, it's not prisoner to prisoner, it was the one that has the keys and, and, and giving the food and tending to the prisoner. And God arranged things because of his faithfulness in every season and in every chapter. God was faithful to Joseph in the prison and he gave him favor with the prison guard. I love that. Prison guard gave Joseph then authority, even in the prison. Now remember, this is the king's prison. In other words, just not everybody's going to be confined here. It's, it's employees of, of royalty, of the king's employment. And so two prisoners are thrown in that work for the king. Do you all remember? Let me quiz you on your Sunday school learning. What two employees of the king's ended up in the prison? The butler and the baker and the candlestick. No, that's something else. I don't know what that is. 
No, the Bible says that the butler and the baker are also thrown into prison. He didn't like how he, he uh, uh, shined his shoes. I don't know. He didn't, like, he didn't like the breakfast that morning. These two suckers got thrown into prison. And so they each have a dream. The butler dreams of a branch, a vine that actually shoots out three branches quickly. It buds quickly, it blossoms quickly, and it quickly produces ripe grapes. But what does that mean? The baker has a dream, and it is three baskets that's on the top of his head. One on top of the other. The, the top one is full of baked goods for Pharaoh. What happens? The birds come and eat up all the goodies. He should have put a lid on that one. It's a dream. What's, what's this mean? And they're trying to figure this out. Of course, remember, Joseph still has the, the gifting uh, that God gave him all along. It didn't go dormant. And God used Joseph in the prison to interpret this dream for the butler and the baker. And he says, I've got good news and bad news. <laughs> he tells the butler, in three days... You're going to be released from this prison, and in fact, you're going to be repositioned as Pharaoh's butler. Be encouraged. Baker, in three days, you will be home. Pharaoh's birthday is three days later, and they have a big birthday bash for Pharaoh. And to honor Pharaoh, they decide, why don't we release two prisoners one will be repositioned and one will be hanged. And just as Joseph interpreted these two dreams, the butler was repositioned as Pharaoh's butler and the baker, he was hanged. The, the butler is thrilled. He's just back in his position. And the Bible tells us he didn't even remember Joseph. For two years, in fact, he's just back doing butler things for the Pharaoh. Two years, Joseph is still in prison, but God is still faithful. Then Pharaoh has a dream. You remember this? I'm kind of skimming over some of this. Maybe you want to read it for detail today, this afternoon. But Pharaoh has a dream about two years later after the butler is repositioned. And Pharaoh calls uh, his seers and magicians and anybody who might make sense of his dream. And his dream went like this. Uh, one portion, seven fat cows come out of the river, followed by seven skinny, ugly cows. And the seven skinny, ugly cows eat the fat cows. What's that mean? Then he has this dream. And it, it's seven heads of grain spring up, and they're full, and they're good, and, and they're healthy. Followed by seven thin and withered heads of grain, and the seven thin and withered heads of grain, they eat the fat and healthy grain. What does this mean? No one can make sense of this. No one can interpret it. The butler says, I remember something now. And he tells Pharaoh of Joseph in prison, who interpreted his dream, and it came to pass just exactly as he said it would. Pharaoh summoned Joseph, and he brought him out of the prison. 
And Joseph gave the interpretation. He said, these two dreams are one in the same. They are seven years of plenty and blessing and favor, followed by seven years of extreme famine. God used Joseph that day to make it clear to Pharaoh what his dreams were all about. But not only did God still use Joseph to interpret the dream, God gave Joseph wisdom and he gave him a word to give to Pharaoh on how to survive the famine. We see this in chapter 41 now, verse 34. Pharaoh he said, let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep this. That food shall then be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Pharaoh said, this sounds like a good idea. So he talks to his cabinet. He talks to all of his top tier leadership. And he says, do you think you can handle this? I don't think you should. And they decide, Pharaoh really decides, how about we just bring Joseph in and let him oversee this? Look at this. Verse number 39, Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, and there is none so discerning, none so wise as you are, you shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. He clothed him with garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Hallelujah. And in one more instant, Joseph went from the prison out of the prison to a place of political power, just like that. And yes, God was faithful in the politics. Joseph served as vice president over Egypt during that next season of his life, until he died, in fact. And there was only one that was more, had more authority than Joseph, and it was Pharaoh himself. Everyone else including Potiphar, by the way. Don't miss that. Now Joseph's over Potiphar and all the others. God was faithful to him, and he continued to bless him. Egypt was blessed because of Joseph. The surrounding cities and areas were blessed because of Joseph and the faithful hand of God on Joseph's life. Let me just tell you now how the family's relationship was fully restored. I've been talking to you about God's faithfulness in Joseph's life. But this sermon today is about God healing relationships that are broken. The famine is now going on. We had the seven years of plenty, just as was prophesied. And now two years into the famine. And Jacob says, I hear that there is grain in Egypt. And so Jacob sends the rest of his sons to Egypt to buy grain and bring it back. As soon as the brothers arrive, the Bible tells us that Joseph recognized his brothers, but his brothers didn't recognize Joseph. I believe this was just God. 
I'm sure Joseph, I'm sure Joseph wanted to just tell his brothers right then, but there was a, a series of, of, of incidents that unfolded, and I don't have the time to walk you through all of that. He wanted to meet his little brother for one thing, Benjamin. They send for Benjamin, remember this. So he sees Benjamin. He doesn't really want to part with him. He wants to see his father, you know, so they, he has them send for, for the father, right? And he says, he calls his steward. Joseph calls his steward, the, the guy, his like executive assistant kind of guy. Hey, I want you to take this cup. This is my cup. It's a silver cup. I want you to hide it in Benjamin's bag. And then when they're just about to leave the, the city parameters, stop them and search them. That's exactly what happens. Well, they find the, the silver goblet, the silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And so Judah comes and just says, please have mercy. And Joseph's still kind of thinking about what, what could I do? And finally, he's just had all he could take and he has to let himself be known. And this is what I want you to see. Open your Bibles. Chapter 45. I'm closing. But you have to see this. This is the moment that the relationship is fully restored and healed. Then Joseph could not control himself any longer before all those who stood beside him. And he cried. And he said, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Remember how many years have passed now. And he wept out loud so that the Egyptians heard it. The whole household of Pharaoh heard it. Karen, it reminds me of the day that mom died. And we gathered over at my Aunt Norma's house and we had to wait on dad's mom, grandma, grandma Blanche and Aunt Pooh. And they came, they arrived at Aunt Norma's house. And they asked to go to the furthest part of the house. So they went and found the, the very back bedroom because they wanted to cry. And they didn't want to break down in front of everyone. So they went to the furthest bedroom and began to cry. And it's a cry that filled that whole house. It didn't matter where they were. I mean, they just lifted up a cry, a wail in grieving mom's loss. I remember that. I kind of think this is what's going on. He had just carried this for so long. And now it's all out. I, I can't take this anymore. And he just said, I'm your brother. I'm your brother. The whole household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, verse number three, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. By the way, is dad still alive? Is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer him. They were dismayed. As, their mouths probably just dropped open. What could they say? We thought for sure you were dead. Joseph said to his brothers, come here. They came near and he said, I'm your brother. I'm Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. But do not dis be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. You've got to see this. 
God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph then sends for his father. They're reunited. Jacob and his sons live in Egypt for 17 years, and Joseph cares for them, provides for them in a good way, above average way. Then Jacob dies. So his brothers are thinking, now we're going to get him. He's not messed with us just for dad's sake. Dad's dead. Brings me back to our text, and I close. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be now that Joseph will hate us. It may be now that we're going to get our payback. We did some evil things to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, and they said, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And so now, please do that. Forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept again, and he spoke to them. His brothers came and fell before him, and they just said, We're at your mercy. We're your servants. We've got to get this. Joseph said, Don't fear. I'm not God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive. Wow. Don't fear, he says, I will provide for you and your little ones. And so he comforted them and spoke kindly. here today and you clearly see a relationship that needs to be healed, I want you to move from where you are and come and stand right here. Everyone's standing. And this will be your opportunity to move out from where you are. It's going to take a step of courage. It will take a step of faith. But isn't it time? Isn't it time, really? Come on and be healed today. Let a relationship be healed today. This doesn't minimize any hurt that happened, anything that's inappropriate. Listen, his brother should never have thrown him in the pit. Remember, life happens, right? And people say and do things that are inappropriate. But does it mean that you have to remain a prisoner? Well, you can be free today. Freedom is here. Healing is here. The God that heals your body is the God that can heal a broken and severed relationship. I want you to look at me if you forward, look at me real quick. I see three reasons why Joseph and his brother's relationship was healed. It's because of choices that, that Joseph chose and decisions that he made. He chose to forgive. You're going to have to reach deep. I'm just telling you. 
It's not going to come up to the surface easily. You'll have to choose it. You've got to choose to forgive. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go shopping with somebody every week. I understand. I'm going to be real with you. You may not even see the person. Some, some people are holding on to things to someone that's not even alive anymore. Choose forgiveness. He chose to forgive. Don't be angry with yourself, he said. Be at peace. God sent me ahead. He just had a whole new perspective about it. God was in it. God sent me ahead so I could save you and a lot more. Do you know how many times I've been able to share the testimony of my mother dying and how hurt I was over it? But I didn't let that hurt evolve to anger and bitterness. He chose forgiveness. He chose a path of kindness. I wonder if you can bring up that last verse again for me. It's really powerful. He said, don't fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them. And what? He spoke kindly. You can actually choose a path of kindness. Be kind. Speak kindly. And act kindly. He did both. He spoke kindly and he provided for them. His actions were kind. Why was the relationship healed? He chose a path of love, a path of forgiveness, a path of kindness, and a path of love. Lift your hands right now. Today's your day to be healed and relationships to be restored. Church, would you help me pray for our friends today? Father, I thank you that you are the God that heals. And I thank you that today, Lord, you have ordered the steps of brothers and sisters who have hurt over relationships that have been fractured and there are wounds. And we are asking God that a miracle would take place, that you would bring healing. Parent to child, brother to sister, God, heal our relationships today. Let marriages be healed in Jesus' name. Help us, God, to make a choice. Choose the path of forgiveness. Choose the path of kindness. Choose the path of love. Let me tell you something today. Love is stronger than hate. Love is stronger than resentment. Ask God to fill you with his love right now. Come on, say, God, fill me with your love. I need your love. A love that will wash away all of that anger. God, a love that will wash away all of that resentment, all of that hurt. God, fill me with your love today. I need your love right now. I don't want to live this way another day, another year. I want to be free of this. Hallelujah. Fill us with your love, God. We give you thanks. We give you praise. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Healing is here. Healing is here. Thank you, Lord. Healing is here. Healing is here. Hallelujah. Healing. 
Father, we thank you for your healing upon our lives. Father, we thank you that you care so much about us, God, that you don't desire for us to walk around broken, God, but that you desire to bring restoration to our lives, to our bodies, to our emotions. Father, we thank you, God, that we can walk in your healing. Father, we pray, Lord God, that we would fix our eyes on you. God, if the enemy desires to discourage us, Lord God, or pull us down, or tell us that we haven't forgiven or we haven't been healed, God, that we would stand firm on your word that says that we are. We thank you for your healing over our lives. We ask you this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.